hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 441, and this is part two of our private label little uh, series here that we're doing, and it is really the five-step roadmap series, uh, really to launch your private label products on Amazon. We already did the overview, so that was part one, and that kind of gave you the entire roadmap kind of laid out, but now we're starting to dig into each section or each phase, as we call it. We look at launching products in five phases, and uh, that's really what we're going to be doing here today is diving into phase one, which is going to be part two. Now, if you did not listen to the overview, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash 440. I'll also link it up in these show notes, which will be theamazingseller.com forward slash 441. But uh, also, we do a workshop where we break this all down for you in about 90 minutes. What I'm doing here on the podcast, I'm kind of giving you an audio version, a little play-by-play going through this, but I know sometimes visual is a little bit better. You can kind of see what we're talking about. It's kind of hard to describe certain things, so that's why we do the workshop, the five-phase workshop, that is. So if you want to register for an upcoming one there, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash workshop. You can register for an upcoming one there. So I've got my good friend on once again, Chris Schaefer is going to be kind of walking through this along with me and and us. And uh, he'll be actually answering some questions that we normally get when going through this. So Chris, how are you doing this morning? I am doing fantastic this morning, Scott. Got a little bit of, a little bit of sparkling water here alongside my tea because I'm losing my voice a little bit. But other than that, I'm doing great, and I'm ready to dive into this. I have a lot of fun with this. I know you have a lot of fun with this, and I know everybody can always serve to have a little bit of a reminder, even if they've done this already, or if you haven't done this and you're just getting started, make sure that you really pay attention to this one specifically. And Scott, you and I have said this multiple times, and you've heard me in the past talk about the Pareto principle, right? The 80-20 rule, right? 80% of the results come from 20% of the effort. This, to me, this first phase is that 20% of the effort that yields 80% of the results. If you pick a product correctly and you kind of follow along with this process, your product is pretty well set up to do well for you. And when we've made mistakes in the past with products, we've kind of missed in these areas. And that's why we're doing a recap for everybody right now. Yeah. And I I do, I kind of want to echo what you just said there and really, you know, kind of highlight that product research is key to being successful. And we, you know, we talk about being successful by launching products that can do $100 profit per day. Some people want to launch products that can do $1,000 per day. And we're going to talk about why that's not our main goal. And the other thing that I want to highlight here is, you know, what we're doing here in this phase, in this section is really important, like we just said, but it does take practice. It's like anything. The more you do it, the more you understand the process, the better you're going to get at it, the faster you're going to get at it. And you'll also start to see opportunities that you might not have seen before. So I'm just going to uh, remind you guys, practice, practice, practice. Go through this, what we're doing here, uh, what we're sharing here during this this podcast, this uh, this little uh, workshop, really, because that's what it is. I'm going to be going through all of the different things. There's actually three, three really main points or parts of doing product research and market discovery. And that's other the other thing really quickly that I want to highlight, Chris, is that you know we talk a lot about finding products, but you know you and I both know that we're really finding products that serve a market. And by by serving a market, 
all right, with these products, it means that there's demand, there's depth, there's all of that stuff that we're going to be talking about. Before we jump in, Chris, how important is it to find products that serve a market? I think even, even if you're not trying to build a brand, it's important. But there, you know, there's there's two kind of competing thoughts on a lot of this stuff, Scott. And it's the, like the open brand method, which you and I have talked about. And we have an open brand, right? But we also have a brand that serves a specific market. If you can find a product that serves a specific market, that becomes extremely powerful for you for a couple of reasons. The first one, obviously, is they're going to be a little bit more passionate about the product and they're willing to spend more money in a lot of cases than they would be on something that's a little bit more generic and maybe doesn't serve that. But they're also going to come back to you time and time and time again to buy the other things that they need from that market. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the new brand. Because we picked products that serve a specific market, we're now marketing to that market, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does make we're, sense. We're, we're able to get people to buy multiple products from us without really any additional effort, right? And and you guys may or may not have heard us talk about the way that we're building our email list and all that stuff, and I'm sure we'll dive into that in some of the other sections on this, but because we have those people on a list now, anytime we launch a new product that serves that same market, they raise their hands, right? And so we're able to leverage effort that we've already done in that market to launch new products and expand the brand. And so when you put products in front of people who are passionate about those products, it becomes much easier to sell, right? You're taking the sales out of it and it becomes a little bit more of a marketing game. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we are going to be also talking about something that recently just was rolled out by Amazon, which allows us to target our past customers or even other ASINs. And that will be more in the promotions phase, which will probably be part five um, or thereabouts. So we'll be digging into that stuff for sure. But it all starts with product discovery or product research, market research, all of that stuff, and that's what I wanna cover here today. Now, just to remind you guys, the five phases that we are covering here, and this is the first one of five, is really product research, product discovery, that's number one, and I believe that that one is one of the most important ones because if you pick a really good product with low competition that has depth and demand, it's a pretty good chance you're going to sell that. Or if you have to, you can liquidate it very easily. Now, the phase two that we'll be talking about in, in this process and, and in this, uh, this little roadmap is sourcing. And we're going to talk about that in the next podcast episode in this series. The next one will be the pre-launch which is actually getting everything ready, getting your listing ready, getting your uh, getting your marketing ready so you can start having sales day one and feeding Amazon what they want. And then number four, phase four that is, is the launch phase. And that's where we're actually going to launch the product and start getting sales. And then phase five is the promotion phase. And that's doing stuff like running sponsored product ads or maybe running a, a coupon code or something like that. Uh, inside of our account. So this way here, we can start to generate more sales, all right? But this one here, this phase to me, and this is why this one may even be one of the longer ones because there's a lot to cover and it's really, really important. And with that all being said, let's kind of dig in. So what we're gonna be covering here today is product discovery. That's number one of the three-step formula. Product discovery, understanding what to look for, where to look for it, and not just your typical way of finding products. Number two is product criteria. This is also very, very important. We need to find products that meet certain criteria. At least we do. Again, 
we are we're kind of sharing with you what we've done and what we share with our students and you can you can take some of it you can take all of it whatever you want to do but this is going to be our criteria and why we like it and i'll be talking about the 10 by 10 by 1 strategy and all that stuff and then number three and the final step in this one of the final steps is product validation okay and really finding out if the numbers that you're seeing that is proven to you that you know this is probably a product i want to go go and uh, launch well, that is going to be the validation process, all right? A lot of people just find a product and go, oh boy, this looks great. The numbers on the surface looks great. We wanna go deeper than that. We wanna look at history. We wanna look at trends. We wanna look at that. And that's our validation. So that's the three-step formula that we use and really left a set of filters in a sense that we run everything through, all right? So let's get started. Step number one, product discovery. I'm gonna give you guys some action steps that you can do right now. Now, all right. Now, these are things that do not require anything more than time. You do not have to have a dollar to invest in a tool uh, to do this. All right. So, no excuses here. I know I get a lot of people. They have excuses. Don't have time. Don't have uh, you know money, whatever to buy tools. All you need is to allocate maybe thirty minutes a day, if that, to really start doing this. So, step number one in this process of product discovery is your daily touch list. This is something that is really, really important and it's super easy. All you have to do is get a pad of paper and a pen and start writing everything you touch on a daily basis. And this is exactly how we found a new product that we launched, or actually a few new products in the new brand. And also, this is how a bunch of our students have found their products. When a lot of people say, eh, that kind of seems silly, I'm not gonna do that, I wanna go right to a tool. The tools will help you validate and verify but you don't have to use tools to find it. So daily touch list, do that, please. If all you take away from this podcast episode is the daily touch list, please, please, please do the daily touch list, all right? The other thing you can do, this is step number two or thing number two in this product discovery phase. This is really like a brain dump too, by the way. It's like just flushing everything out on paper, all right? And then just getting ideas. Don't worry about the numbers right now. Don't worry about validating right now. All we're doing is getting in the rhythm. We're getting in the mindset to kind of be aware and to start to see opportunities or things that could be potential products or markets, all right? So browsing eBay. eBay is a search engine for buyers. Amazon is a search engine for buyers. QVC HSN is a search engine for buyers or a TV network for buyers. They also have a website. You should go there and check that place out as well. So any place, uh, it could be walmart.com. It could be uh, you know, whatever other platform, Sears. It could be any other one out there that are selling products. And for you to start tapping into ideas, we're not even looking at numbers right now. All we're looking at is ideas, all right? So again, daily touch list, browse eBay, browse Amazon, QVC, HSN, infomercials. Infomercials are great because, again, they're exposing a market, and then in, within that market, there's accessories that can be served to that product that they're trying to sell or program. For example, if, uh, I was actually in Dallas. Chris, I didn't even tell you this. I was in Dallas in the hotel, and I was watching like Plyo with uh, um, Shailene Johnson, and I was watching the infomercial not because I wanted to buy the program. I was watching it as a marketer, seeing what they're doing. And a lot of her uh, uh, testimonial videos were people, you know, uh, talking on their own cell phones. So it wasn't even high quality video, but she was selling a program. Now, what could be sold around that? I guarantee that there, there's exercise, uh, you know, products that could be served to that market. There could be maybe supplements, whatever. And I'm not saying going to the supplements. I'm just saying getting ideas from looking at an infomercial, number one, 
seeing what that market is also needing on top of what they're selling in the infomercial. All right, so it's a great way to get ideas. And then the last thing is listening to conversations. And, and this is one thing that I don't see a lot of people doing or even being aware of. And I'm telling you right now, if you listen to conversations, you will pick up a lot of great ideas because these conversations are with everyday people talking about things that they're interested in. And uh, if you want, you can even look over someone's shoulder like I've done watching my daughter play volleyball and seeing what people are searching for on Amazon. No joke. It's exactly what I did. And it was funny. The other day I was actually going to, uh, I was going to actually try to take a picture, but I didn't want to seem like a stalker and I didn't want to get caught. But this lady was looking through Amazon. And uh, the one time I, <laughs> I did it twice, this, the, the one lady was looking at like overstuffed, like beanbag chairs. And another lady was looking at a seat cushion. Oh, this is funny too, Chris. I forgot about this one. She was looking at one of those uh, seats that clip on your, uh, on the bleachers because you know, your back hurts at overtime. And I, I'm totally in the market for one of them, by the way. And I never thought I would because I thought they were just for old people. I'm, I'm ready for one of them because your back hurts sitting on that bench for so long. But they went and they started looking um, for this thing. And, it, and it's funny. I seen a private labeler that I was looking at that they sell a bunch of different products. I seen their branding on the back of one of these seats. They sell one of these seats. How funny is that, Chris? That's hilarious. <laughs> that, that reminds me, and I think I told you the story. Uh, <clears throat> the first time I realized that private label was a real thing, right? Like we had already been selling for probably a year and a half and doing private label stuff, but it kind of exists in this vacuum. I happened to know one of the brands of some of the people in PLC and I saw their product in the wild, That's right? Great. Like I saw somebody using it and I was like, real people buy this stuff. <laughs> it is <laughs> right? funny, isn't it? It's not just, you know, it's not just this, this magical thing that happens on Amazon where we send in inventory, uh, you know, like real people actually buy our products. So that is, that is very funny. And I remember the first time I saw that as well. Um, I was standing, I was standing somewhere in public and I went, Hey, I know the person that makes that. <laughs> it is, it, you know, and it's, it's once you become aware of it, it's kind of like, you know, you haven't ever seen like a yellow car that often in a certain style. And then all of a sudden you start looking at them and you start seeing them everywhere. So right, it's like observation bias. Yeah. You, you have to be aware. So again, if all you take away from this podcast episode right now is be aware of your surroundings and what people are interested in, you'll be blown away. Because so many people, and Chris, I don't know if you agree or not, but so many people rely on a tool to give them that information. That Everyone wants people to serve them or someone to serve them a product on a platter and say, this is the one to sell. And I believe that that's going to be harder for you because now everyone is seeing the same thing. Okay, so to me, I want to go around that. I want to be a little bit more creative. And yes, I may find something that may be on that list anyway, but I want to do it in a way that I know that other people are looking for this thing, not just by, you know, looking at the same tool that everyone is looking at. And I'm not against tools and you'll hear in a, in a little bit here why I do use tools and how I use them. I don't use them your typical way. Um, I use them more for looking at, the products and then looking at the data and then kind of looking at the numbers. Like that's what I look at for and tracking those types of things. But let's kind of keep moving on here because I've got a ton to cover guys. We're just getting started. So the big takeaway there for you guys and the big action step is create lists 
on physical paper, not on your phone, on physical paper. I love writing stuff down. Number one, it feels more real, like you're doing something, um, but I want you to actually have something that you can kind of go back to, maybe set aside, then come down, do another 30 minutes. And this could be, again, just browsing on those different platforms or things that just might be happening throughout the day. Um, so again, your hobbies, that's another big one. Your personal hobbies, write those down, okay? What are your children's hobbies? I know my daughter's into piano and volleyball. My other daughter's into piano as well, but then she's also just got married. She's also into hair and makeup and um, weddings and all of that stuff. So I know that because she's older, she's 22. And then my son, 19, he's in college. He does basketball. Uh, you know, he's uh, actually right now, he's, uh, you know, in into uh, some gaming stuff. So there's a whole market there for all of that different stuff that I just looked at at a glance. Now, maybe you want to take yourself back in time. And when you were 13 years old, what were your hobbies? Uh, you know, what were your passions? What are your problems? Um, what are other people's problems that are in your life? I know my father just had a hip replacement not that long ago. That's a pretty major problem, right? So he's going through some, some things that I'm not going into. Write these things down, even though you don't know if anything will really materialize, write it down. There, there's no harm in writing it down. I want you to have a massive, a massive list or lists um, of just different random things. And then we can start to kind of whittle it down and we can start to do our research. Quick story. And this actually happened to me. And this is what I mean about being aware and having no idea until I started looking into this market. Uh, and actually in, a, in the workshop, I kind of share some screenshots and stuff like that, but I'm going to kind of give you the audio version. Uh, I moved to South Carolina not that long ago, about a year and a half now, going on two years. And, uh, you know, we got down here and we started seeing that people were driving around in these Jeeps, right? Jeep Wranglers. And we're like, oh, it looks kind of cool. looks fun. You know, tops are off mostly. Doors are off. Everything looks fun. So we started looking into a Jeep, you know, and I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go start looking at Jeeps. Well, once I got to the dealership, I soon found out that there's a huge, huge market for Jeep owners. I mean, I'm talking like the Jeep family or the Jeep tribe or cult or whatever you want to call it, like there's so many people that are raving Jeep fans and they're loyal and they have meetups and some of them do more off-roading than others. Some people just, you know, kind of get their Jeep all decked out and, you know, they, they modify it, all of this stuff. And I didn't realize this and I got there and the, and I got educated. I mean, this, the salesman was telling me like, you know, Hey, you better be ready. If you're going to get into this, you're going to have people waving at you all the time, you know, to get you, if you don't wave, you're kind of disrespecting the Jeep, uh, try or whatever. So anyway, uh, I came home and I started digging in. I started to look into this market and I was blown away, blown away at just the different accessories and the different add-ons and just the different things that you could tap into if you wanted to go into this market. Now, because I'm saying this, there's going to be people listening that are going to go out and try to go into the Jeep market. I personally wouldn't do that, right? Because we just kind of exposed it. I wouldn't do it. I'm personally not doing it. Um, if you want to knock yourself out, but I can almost guarantee you there's going to be probably uh, a lot of competition because it's like the garlic press. Uh, you know, it's once I mention it and that's why I kind of hold off sometimes on, on mentioning that stuff, but I'm doing this to really kind of illustrate and, and kind of show you a real life example. And that just happened because I was in the market and I never would have be, I wouldn't be even talking to you about this right now if I never started looking into a Jeep. I just wouldn't have known. So uh, that's how things happen. And I know, Chris, you have a, a you know quick little story that I'm sure you can share about when you were moving and uh, how something kind of just kind of shot out at you and said, hey, wait a minute here. You might want to look into this. 
Yeah, and I think we talked about this quickly in the overview, but basically what happened is I was putting my guest room together for my business partner to come because, you know, like most of us, I'm kind of lazy and hadn't fully unpacked uh, for about six months. I, you know, is where we stored the boxes and everything. And I was like, yeah, I should probably actually, you know, put the furniture together and get the boxes out and like make a bed for my business partner so that he's not sleeping on the floor. Uh, <laughs> and I went to put all that stuff together and realized that we lost something in the move that I needed to get the room ready. And just, you know, again, Scott, you said, you know, our, the way that we do this is a little bit cultured by experience now, but just because I I've done this once or twice and I thought about it, I jumped on Amazon and I looked at the metrics on the product that I was missing. Cause I said, you know, if I'm missing this, other people might be missing this too. And it turned out that hundreds of people every month were buying that product on Amazon. And when you take it one step deeper, Hundreds of other people were buying products that we could have launched as a brand. There was actually a market there, not just an individual product. We could have built an entire brand around something that I was missing, putting my guest room together. And it's just one of those things where if if you just did that and, you know, ran over to Home Depot and bought it, you wouldn't have ever thought to look at it on Amazon. And it's one of those reasons that the touch list, which you mentioned earlier, works so well. Everybody kind of asks us you know, it, it's too simple to work, right? Like it, me writing stuff down on a daily basis would never work because everything that I write down is going to be the same stuff that Scott writes down and that Chris writes down. And to some extent that's true, but you're doing something different on a daily basis, right? That product, Scott, may have showed up on your touch list when you moved to South Carolina, but it wouldn't have showed up after that. It showed up on my touch list that day, but it would never have shown up in the six months before that or the six months after that. And so writing those things down, not just once, but on a regular basis, really helps in this product research process. And I would say the next time you like run to the store for the random thing that you need, write that down, put that on your list, right? Because the chances are there's other people that need that thing too. Yeah. And, and once, once you, and that, that's why I talked about it in the beginning, I was talking about like, once you do this and you, you develop this skill set and you understand like the, you know, the three-step formula that you're going to run this through, that's immediately what you'll do. And like, I immediately came home and I actually, I have some screenshots up here that I'm sharing with myself just to remind me of what I did. Cause I kind of do that in the workshop, but I basically came home and I immediately went to Amazon. I typed in Jeep accessories. That was the first thing I typed yes. in. And immediately, immediately after I did that, all I did was I paused for a second and I let Amazon give me the suggestions from that keyword search. So Jeep accessories. And then what they gave me below was Jeep accessories Wrangler Unlimited. Jeep accessories, Wrangler, Jeep accessories for women, Jeep accessories, purple, Jeep accessories, red, Jeep accessories, Grand Cherokee and Jeep accessories storage. So do you see how I just discovered just with one little search took me less than two minutes after I came home, kind of excited to see what I was going to, you know, find. And I got these different things, right? Jeep accessories for women. That's a whole separate thing that now I've kind of niched it down from just Jeep accessories. So again, that's how we do it. And I mean, if we look at the new brand, Chris, it's exactly what happened there. Like if my wife never started getting interested in this certain thing or this certain market, I never would have known about it. And then from there, I never would have talked to our partner. And then it just, it never would have happened. So it's 
all because of that. I didn't have a tool tell me that I should probably look into that. Now, again, I'm not against tools. I, I'm, I think tools are great. And you'll see that, you know, once I get to a certain part in this process, I need to use tools. It speeds up my process. It's kind of like using a shovel or, uh, you know, to dig a post hole, you know, if you're going to use a post hole digger, you're going to do that by hand. Or if you rent like an auger that goes down, it's going to be a lot faster, right? So in this case, that's what we want to do. We want to drill versus digging a hole. Um, that kind of goes back to gold rush too. I like that. We want to drill test holes, right, Chris? Well, and, and I would say, <laughs> you know, just on the tools thing, right? Scott, if you had to dig one post hole, you wouldn't run an auger for the day. You'd use a post hole digger because the post hole digger is faster than the shovel. Yep. But you wouldn't run an auger to dig one hole. Exactly. Right? <clears throat> Just because it's not worth the In the time that it takes you to get to Home Depot, to rent the auger, to bring it back, to drill the hole, you could have done it with the post hole digger. So we need to use the tool that's the best fit for the job that we need it for. And a lot of people just think that they need an auger for everything. Exactly. Right? To plant the flowers, they're using an auger. To dig a post hole, a single hole, they're using an auger, right? To dig the foundation, even though the auger is not the right tool to dig a foundation for the house, they're still using the auger, <laughs> right? <laughs> that would so, be tough. Right, that would be a very long and painful process. So we need to make sure that if we're going to use a tool, that we pick the right tool for a job. because. Yep. When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So we need to make sure that everything that we do in this process is the best fit for each stage. So at this point, I wouldn't be looking at tools. Right. There's a lot of great uses for tools, but right now we're just looking for ideas. And the more ideas we have, the better we're gonna be as we start going to the tools and as we start working our way through this process because different things are going to happen to each of these ideas. Yeah. And you know, you're hundred percent right. And again, I think tools are necessary when you need them, or if you have one, uh, then you're going to use it, but don't necessarily, you don't necessarily need to get it until you actually get to that point. So again, I don't want to push tools on people. I will mention what we're using and kind of all that stuff here in a little bit, but you do not have to. I think it's, it's actually better in the beginning to kind of go through this process like we're talking about right now. And just to kind of give you guys an example, like I actually went through the Jeep stuff, right? And I just looked at Jeep accessories, went that broad. And I found two products right out of the gate that were selling, one was selling 948 units a month. It was actually a neoprene preen, uh, center console armrest pad cover uh, with dog paws on it. Okay. And then the other one was grab handles, um, that you actually Velcro on the top or strap on the top because they don't have grab handles right now. There was 500 units of those being sold per month. And then there was the taillight covers. There's like these taillight little metal covers. Um, so if you off road, it's going to protect your, your taillights, $25 and 99 cents they're selling for, and they're selling 439 units a month. Um, and they've got 130 reviews. So again, that's what I mean. Like I found those in less than an hour, like less than an hour. And again, people say, well, I don't have time. Like, how don't you have time? Like you can get up an hour early. You can stay up an hour late or you can do it on your lunch hour. It's like this stuff is totally doable. Now I want to stay on track. I don't want to get off, off course here. Um, but again, I wanted to share, share that with you guys. Cause it's really, really important. So again, we talked about eBay, eBay again, as a search engine, I would go there, play around, go through categories, go through products, randomly go there and just look at categories, look at trending, uh, trending collections. Like look at all of that stuff. It's a search engine for buyers, understand buyers go there. 
not people just searching, uh, you know, how to, you know, make something, right? It's, it's really, they're going there to buy the thing. All right. The other thing is Amazon. Amazon is a search engine for buyers. So what they also do is they leave us clues as a seller. We can go there as a buyer and let them tell us what some of these things are that we should be considering because we just did a search about something just like I did with the Jeep accessories, the same exact example. And guys, I mean, it's more visual, so I can't really kind of go through that. We do cover this, uh, in great depth inside of the workshop. So again, I'm going to give you guys a quick little reminder there. If you want to register for an upcoming workshop, definitely go to theamazingseller.com forward slash workshop. And there'll actually be screenshots of us going through like what we're looking at through Amazon, what we're looking at, uh, you know, in eBay and, and any of these other platforms that we're digging into. But what we like to do is really drill down deeper. And I think that's the most important takeaway right here is to don't just look at the surface. Like a lot of people just go to Amazon bestsellers and they think they're going to find their product. That's not what you're going to do, right? I like to, again, have the touch list and have that lead me into the category. So if it's, if I'm seeing a garlic press, I'm going to go into home and kitchen. But then as I go into home and kitchen, I may see that there's something in bath that I want to go into and then I'll go into bath and then it'll open up a whole nother set of categories inside of bath, like bathroom accessories. So now I've went from home and home and kitchen to bath to bathroom accessories. So I just want you guys to understand we're drilling down. We keep using the the, the term here, drilling, which is great. Uh, we are though, we're, we're digging deeper below the surface and it's really, really important that you understand that. All right. Um, another little idea tip here. I got two of them for you. This one here, again, we're looking at what Amazon is telling us. They are going, once you start searching for stuff, they're going to start to kind of surround you with things that you might be interested in, like top rated products, hot new releases, and most wished for. Don't you think looking at most wished for would probably be something you'd want to pay attention to? I know I would because it's like people are wishing for it. They, they have it on their wish list. And then hot new releases, that one there, again, it may be a new release, might be selling. We got to be careful with that because it could be someone doing a promotion and stuff. And we'll talk about how to kind of validate that stuff a little bit later. But top rated, we definitely want to look at that stuff. So those are some, again, some ideas for you to, uh, to actually see what else might be uh, aligned with what you're searching for. Another quick little idea tip is customers who viewed this item also viewed this. It's another big one because Amazon again is saying like, Hey, listen, other people that have purchased this, they also viewed this. And I recently just did this with my new pool, got a pool and I looked for these, uh, these little, they're, they're kind of like these long, uh, plastic things that you fill up with water. So it holds down the net over top of the pool because I got some leaves coming in it. Right? So I looked at that. And as I'm looking at that, it's also saying like, I might need a leaf net. And I might also need the pole, right? So all of these things, it's saying like, you bought this one thing. Now you might be interested in these three other things. And a lot of times I will add that stuff to my cart because it is something that's related and I, I do need it. Um, so again, we can look at that as an opportunity for them to tell us what would be the next product in line or what could be a good bundle. What if we took two of those things that are commonly being purchased together and make that our product? Okay. Then we can create a bundle or a package deal that would make it uh, easier for the customer to get what they want. All right. Um, so at this point, Chris, I want to stop because we're going to go into step two of the three step process. And we're going to talk about product criteria. What are some of the common questions at this point? Do we normally get that you would like to maybe address? So before we jump into that, I want to kind of jump back to the, the frequently bought together thing. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people miss out on, especially 
when they say, oh, well, this product specifically didn't work, this thing on my touch list. Mm. Frequently bought together is really cool, Scott. Are you familiar with uh, if you give a mouse a cookie? Yeah. It's a children's book, right? It's yeah. one of my mom's favorites. And we constantly make jokes about it. But anytime you buy something, it's kind of like a game of if you give a mouse a cookie, right? And if you guys aren't familiar with the book, the mouse gets a cookie, but then he ne- he also needs a glass of milk. But then he has crumbs, so he needs a napkin. And then he needs a nap because he's full from the cookie and the milk, right? All of these things get sold together. And so if we can take a look at that, even if the thing that's on our touch list isn't a product that's going to work for us because it doesn't meet the criteria that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, it is potentially something that can lead to that product. And so by looking at those things like frequently bought together and customers also view this and all of those kinds of things, those are other things that we can put on our list that may meet the criteria. And we found some of our products that way, even though the initial product we were looking at didn't meet the criteria. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, Scott, we kind of already addressed this one, but people always ask us about the touch list and they say, won't everything on my touch list be the same as everybody else's? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, again, I think there's going to be some, right? There's going to be some crossover, but there's going to be things on my touch list that might be there before yours, right? Or vice versa, because, you know, you're doing different things or your kids are into different things or your husband is into different things or your wife or whatever. Like, so no, I don't, yes, the common things, maybe a coffee cup. Yeah. Maybe that is going to be on there. But you have to continually grow that list. And I think that as you do different things, I mean, I didn't have a pool a year ago. Now I do. Guess what? I'm looking at different things. Now there's different things on my touch list that might not be on yours. Um, So that would be my answer to that. Right. Like your skimmer. You were talking about how you had to, uh, not the skimmer for the pool, but the skimmer for the, the side. Yeah. Because after they installed it and you filled it with water, you had to make sure that the that the pool sides didn't slip into the pool. Yep. <laughs> right? You had yeah. to skim it on a daily basis to make sure that the coating was still there. That's never something you would have thought to buy never. or thought to have on a list. And even if you have a pool now, like if you had bought the house with a pool, that wouldn't have been on your list. Nope. Right? And so those are the kinds of things everybody that has a pool wouldn't even have that on their list. So you're talking, you know, 1% of 1%, and then on top of that, you know, even if you and I do write down the same thing, we might actually look at the criteria that we'll talk about here in a few minutes slightly differently. And I would say the idea stage, which is really where we are right now, there's no such thing as a stupid idea, right? Write everything down, write all of the complementary products down, because what we're going to do is we're going to put them through some filters here when we get to the criteria stage. And the more stuff we have at the top, the more stuff we have at the bottom, right? And so if we can fill the top of this funnel, if you will, with as many ideas as possible, as things start to get knocked out, We're not limited to just one choice by the time we get to sourcing. We'll have three or four or five that make it through that filter. So write everything down. Yes, some of those things are going to get knocked out like a coffee cup, Scott, or like a water bottle, like the one that I'm drinking out of right now. But if you are smart and you do what we say here and you look at the frequently bought together and customers also viewed this, you're going to write down uh, a French press and a certain kind of coffee that people also buy with that coffee cup. And maybe one of those little guy tea stringers. And all of those are probably fairly saturated products and probably not something that you would end up selling. But you guys get that point. That adds three or four or five things to that list. And then those three or four or five things each add three or four or five things. 
and you can grow this this list exponentially before you start to put them through filters. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I just don't think you should limit yourself to thinking that. So just go through the process and understand that when an opportunity comes to you or an idea comes to you, you'll be running it through this set. But to get started, you just want to get in the flow. You want to kind of be aware and uh, and just pay attention. So, um, all right, let's keep moving here because we got a lot more to cover here and I didn't want this to go over an hour, but let's see, uh, let's see how we do here. Um, all right, so step two is the product criteria. So now we've got this whole list or we've got certain products that we want to look into a little bit further. Well, we got to see if they're even worth going into because it's great to have a product idea and I get this a lot. Hey, I've got a brand new product idea. No one's launched it yet. I think it's going to be a massive success. And I always say, eh, I'd wait on that. I would wait till the market validates it before because this way here you're taking less of a risk. And I always kind of go back to Shark Tank. Like if you watch Shark Tank and you see that there's four sharks up there, uh, they're being pitched an idea or something that's already working. And nine out of 10 times, once they ask this question, what are your current sales? Like, let's just cut to the cut to the chase. What are your current sales? And when they say, well, we're still in prototype, we haven't launched yet. Nine out of 10 times, they say, come back when you have some sales and then we'll look into, into this because we want, we want the market to validate that they actually want it. So what we're doing is we're using Amazon as that market validation piece. We're allowing them to tell us before we even go in there. So if we want to sell $100 profit per month, which we're going to talk about the 10 by 10 by one, and that's really what that is and why that's important then we got to find products that are doing that. And then we just model that and make our products better. So just understand the product criteria is really a set of like really just like data points, but also just different criteria that we live by and that we always use for launching products. And in the new brand, this is exactly what we've done. So let me kind of cover them. What makes a good product? That's the big question, right? Well, number one, product that serves a market, I think, is going to be an advantage, especially in, in the future. Again, if we go after just a one hit wonder, it's fine. It can work. You can get some revenue. You can get some sales, but if you're looking to build a brand, it can be a little bit harder if you don't find products that serve a market. Number two, it retails for 19 to $45 or more. And the reason why I use $19 as kind of like the minimum is because if you buy something for $4 or $5 and you want to resell it for 19, that's going to be a decent margin to get started. All right. Now, obviously if you can, if you can source it less and if you can sell it more then that's great, but I like a 30 to a 50% margin somewhere in there. And if you start with a 30% margin and we can increase that to 40% just by buying more in the future or getting our shipping less, any of that stuff, then I'm okay with that. But I like 19 to $45 or more. That's what I like it to retail for lightweight, less than two pounds. Uh, the reason why I like it lightweight and less than two pounds is because this way here in the beginning, we can do test orders. We can do it by air and we can do it a lot faster than if we have to ship it by sea. And also we could have some different storage fees and stuff if we get, uh, you know, with bigger items. So we want light, uh, lightweight, less than two pounds reviews. I like to find products that are that have less than 200 at the most 300 reviews. And the reason is, is because I don't want to have to go into this thing thinking I have to get a thousand reviews, right? Because a lot of people will go out there and they'll find products that have 800 reviews. And the only way that they feel as though they compete is if they get a whole bunch of reviews, then what happens? Then we start kind of leaning on review groups and you're not really supposed to do that. And then we start to try to find 
unethical ways to get reviews. Like, I don't want to go down that road. And I don't think you should either. I think if you go after products that sell $100 profit per day, which is actually 10 units a day at $10 profit for one product. And actually, by the way, that's the 10 by 10 by one. Um, but that's what we do. And it's, it's not, you don't have to go out there and try to get a whole bunch of reviews because the sales are not being driven by reviews for the most part. And then the other piece of criteria is I want to, I want to see a product that's selling at least 10 units per day. All right. And little side note here, when you generally go after products that are selling 10 units a day, especially if we're doing the right amount of research, sometimes that'll turn into 15 units a day or maybe 20, or maybe in some cases 50 or a hundred. You just don't know. But if we start with, we want to get 10 per day, that to us is, is a successful product in our brand. And then we'll build from there. Uh, then, you know, to us, we're not going after products that are really competitive that are, get, that are selling hundred per day, because let's face it, there's people out there right now that want to sell hundred per day on one product. And that's what they're doing. And they're willing to go all in on that, but they're also taking more of a risk because it's going to take a lot more money to get that thing because everyone else is doing it, right? You have to sell hundred per day in order to compete. We don't want to go down that road. I, I, I want to jump in here quick, yeah. Scott, because it's something that I was thinking about as you were saying that, you know, <clears throat> not only is it harder to find those products, like there, there are tens of thousands of products that sell 10 units a day and maybe, you know, fives of fives of thousands. Is that a word? It might uh, be. <laughs> let's just say half can as be. many, uh, you know, it's probably even less than that, uh, that sell hundreds of units a day. But on top of finding that and having higher competition, it also leads to having much, much different challenges mm -hmm. and much different problems. Like if you're selling hundreds of units a day, you're playing a lot more catch up on inventory. Yeah. And some of those kinds of things, which if you're just getting started is not something that you want to do. Like even for us in the new brand, we picked products that met the 10 by 10 by one criteria for the most part. And we're struggling to keep up with inventory without investing more and more and more and more because we've had a couple of those that have really taken off. Now we're, we're at a point where we're pulling out some profit a few months in, but if we had, you know, if we had come at this with the, the thinking that, we wanted to sell hundreds of units a day of that product, we would have had to put in substantially more money up front and it would have been a much bigger struggle for us to keep up with inventory. Yeah. And, and when we get to the launch phase and that's what we'll be talking about when we get into there and the pre-launch and all that stuff is we're figuring out what's it going to take to rank. And if, if we have to compete with someone that's selling even 50 units a day, we have to sell 50 units a day to get ranked, really. Uh, and so with that being said, like, you know, 10 days, that's 500 units, right? Like in, in the most part, in the beginning, you are going to be, you know, not even breaking even on those because we're running heavy pay-per-click or we're doing, uh, you know, a deep discount, like whatever. Um, and that's, that's fine. That's part of the process. But wouldn't it be better if we can just do 10 units a day and then possibly start to rank? Like it's a lot easier and, you know, it's, it's just low, lower risk as well, which I think a lot of people um, want, uh, but in the same breath, they also want those big numbers, which I'll show you here in a second why, you know, we try to hit the 10 by 10 by one on every product that we launch. And basically this is what it looks like. And I kind of just said it, but I'm going to do it a little bit slower here for you guys. 10 units per day. So just think about this. You just sold 10 units per day and you made profit $10 per unit. Okay, so 10 units a day, $10 profit each sale, so each unit sold for one product, that's $100 per day per product. Okay, so pretty pretty basic math. So $100 for 
for one product that's $3,000 per month, okay? Let's kind of let's kind of scale that up a little bit. Let's go with three products now. We did the same thing, 10 by 10 by one, okay? Selling 10 units a day each, so that's 30, 30 units a day now at $10. That's $300 profit. That's $9,000 per month. And now let's take it up one more step. We go to five products in our brand. We have $500 profit per day now. That's $15,000 per month. So do you see how we just took... And we went where we wanted to get $500 or I'm sorry, $100 profit per, per day to $500 profit per day, but we did it by just launching another 10 by 10 by one type product. And that's really what we've done in the new brand. And currently right now, we are definitely on track to really scale this thing up because right now I think uh, as we're recording this, you know, we're at about 35K per month. And we're not even into the fourth quarter 100% yet. Like we aren't even rolling yet. And we ran out of inventory a few times. So um, that's how it can work. And again, it doesn't have to be one product that sells 100 units per day. I think that's riskier because now if we have two of our products that go out of inventory, guess what? We still have three other products that are doing it. And that's the goal. Our goal is to get those products, okay? But it may take a few products to get there, all right? So another big tip that I want to uh, to kind of throw at you guys is if a product is selling well that you're looking at but has a bad listing, for example, pictures are bad, title, bullets, description, and it's still getting 10 sales per day, that's really, really good news for you because that shows that people don't care about the images so much, right? They don't care how well it's written. They just want the product. They just want that thing, right? So for you, you come in, you give them a, a similar product, a better product, and then you also give them a better listing to look at, and then Amazon likes that better, and you optimize it better, which we'll get into that in the pre-launch. That is, to me, another, another advantage for you. So that's something to look at when you're looking at your products and saying like, okay, these guys are doing 10 units a day, and they only have one image. Wow, I could do a better job. So that's another, another big, big thing to look at, all right? Okay, moving on. This is another little pro tip here. Digging one level deeper to find products, okay? What do I mean by that? Well, most people will look at that one product, that one widget, and they'll go, oh, this person's selling, but it looks like they have like 800 reviews, and ah, I don't really want to go into that market. I don't really want to go into that product, not even that market, just that product. So what we do and what we've done numerous times, and whenever I look at products, this is what I'll do, the next step will be, I'll go and I will click on the brand name in the listing. Again, I can't really show you that in this audio version, but we do kind of show you this in the workshop. So again, little reminder, definitely register for one of our upcoming workshops. We'll take this and condense it into about 90 minutes, everything, all five phases. Um, go over there, register at theamazingseller.com forward slash workshop. But basically just to kind of describe it here in audio is you click on the brand name in, it's like a little blue link inside of or underneath the title. And then from there, what you'll do is you'll click on their brand name and it'll show you their products that they're selling and it will give you their top selling products. Now you may even see some new products that they just launched, but it'll also give you more ideas inside of that market that they may have even just launched and then just didn't do anything with, right? So it's a way for you to get more ideas that not everyone else is seeing because not everyone else is drilling into that uh, or into that next level deeper, 
Okay. So that's what we mean by digging one level deeper is clicking on the brand name of that one product and then seeing what other products they are selling. And sometimes it'll be two other products. Sometimes it'll be 20 other products. And then from there, and this is another little tip that will require a tool is if you use a tool like jungle scout on that products page of that brand, you can run the Chrome extension for jungle scout. And then it will give you all the numbers on that page. Now, again, I can't show you what that looks like right here because we're in audio, but just trust me when you go there, it will give you all of the numbers that you need. It'll give you the review number, the, the estimated sales. It'll give you even a rating on the listings and all of that. So another little pro tip there for you. And if you guys are brand new and you have no idea what jungle scout is, that would be my tool of choice. Uh, is Jungle Scout. I would start with the Chrome extension and then I would go with the web app or if you want, do them both. Um, the web app will help you track products as well. Um, I'll give you guys a link here. It is an affiliate link. I am an affiliate for Jungle Scout. Greg Mercer, know him very well. Um, TheAmazingSeller.com forward slash JS for Jungle Scout. I'll also include it in the show notes. Um, but that there is a tool that will help you get the results quicker as far as if you're, if you're kind of looking at all the data, especially on one page or one list. All right. And that's really what kind of comes down to as far as like finding out what the sales are. A lot of people, that's one of the other big questions we get a lot, Chris is like, what are the sales? Well, number one, you can use a tool. Okay. To do that. We've in the past, when we first got started, there wasn't any tools. So we were doing it the old fashioned way. So there's really two options here for you. Option number one to start tracking sales is to create a spreadsheet and start tracking the BSR, the best seller rank over time. Again, if you're brand new and you don't have no idea what a best seller rank is, it's a number that Amazon will, it's a ranking number that Amazon will give each listing. And that gives us an idea of how well they are selling. Uh, now, again, I can't show you here on this audio version, the workshop, I do go into that uh, with just some different examples and stuff to show you. Um, so definitely, again, guys, I can't stress it enough. Um, the workshop will, will kind of give you the play-by-play -play visually. Um, but option one is to create that spreadsheet and start tracking that BSR over time. Now, option number two is to use a tool like Jungle Scout to give sales numbers and track in the web app, okay? But that will require... Uh, you know, an upfront investment, a um, few hundred dollars. And then from there, you'll be able to start doing that. But again, I don't want to push tools here on you. I think you can do it either way. Um, but again, our tool of choice is Jungle Scout. Chris, I think I want to give them the 999 trick because I know we get asked that quite a bit. And I know though, it can be a little frustrating if you don't have a visual. So that's why I think, again, if you guys can show up to the workshop, you'd, you'd be probably better off because you can see this, but let's just try to walk them through that. Um, I'm going to explain it, Chris, and then maybe you can go back and kind of like tweak a few things just in case I left something out. Go for it. Okay. The 999 trick looks like this. Number one, go to your competition that you're looking at, or go to that one listing that you want to know what their numbers are. Okay. And you would add 999 units to your cart. Okay. Now don't check out, don't go and order 999 units. Okay. But just go and add 999. And what you want to do at this time is you want to re also record the time that you're doing this. Okay. Very important that you do this. So if it's at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, you're on your lunch, you go to that garlic press, you, you click on the listing and then you say, I'm going to order 999. You go ahead, you say, add to cart. The next thing that'll happen in most cases is it will say, sorry, there's only 
603 available. Let's just say there's only 603 available. You can't buy 999. There's not any, there's not that many in stock. All you can buy is 603. So now you record that as well. Okay. So you record how many it says are available. So that's step one really of this little 999 trick. Okay. The third part or the second part, I guess, would be repeat this the next day at the same time. Okay. And then do the math. So if you just repeated yourself, did the exact same thing, added 999 the next day, you know, add it to your cart, obviously clear your cart. Um, and then from there, it's going to say, sorry, there's only 590 available. So now you would take 603 from the day before, 590 on the next day that you just recorded or the day, the current day, that's 13 sold. So now you would do that over the course of seven to 14 days and then take an average because some days it might be 13, some days it might be eight, some days it might be 15, some days it might be 20. And then you would do an average for seven to 14 days. And that way there, you can kind of get an idea. Now, one little note here, you may go there and say 999 units that you want to order and it'll say, sure, it's going to be, you know, $4,000. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. Okay. They have that many. So now the next thing that I would do is I would find another product in the same category that has a, a, a very similar BSR. Maybe, maybe we're looking at a BSR of 5,000. I would find another garlic press that had 5,000 and then I would go and do it to that listing and that listing may have less than 999. So you see what I'm doing here? I'm just trying to figure out what 5,000 BSR in home and kitchen is for this period of time. And that's how I would do that little 999 trick. And I actually did this in the very beginning before I started using a tool. Now, if you use a tool, basically does that for you. You don't have to worry about that. Chris, did I leave anything out? Was I confused? <laughs> that's, it, it's funny because every time you do that, it gives me like flashbacks, right? Because <laughs> that's, that's actually how before tools we had to do this, right? And if you, if you didn't have that trick, you wouldn't really have any idea what was selling on Amazon and how much it was selling. I, I think the moral of the story here is the, the like short version of that is find the product, add it to the cart, change the quantity to 999. In most cases, it'll say, no, there's only 800, right? Come back the next day, do the same thing. There are going to be some circumstances where it doesn't work. And that's where you have to find an alternative. One is going to be Scott, like you mentioned, if they have 1100 units in stock, then that's not going to work. And two is if they set a max order quantity of say five, right? Now, the, the trick here is you have to actually add it to the cart. In a lot of situations, you aren't able to add 999 from the product page because they have set dropdowns for quantity. So if you add it to the cart, you should be able to enter a custom quantity. Um, but you can use a tool like Jungle Scout to not have to do this. Jungle Scout does this kind of on steroids for all of the listings at the same time, right? And they've been tracking it over time, so you get a little bit of a better idea rather than just a specific moment in time. But the 999 trick, if you don't have any tools or you don't want any tools, is absolutely a great way to get started. And Scott, like you mentioned, it's how you and I got started yeah. doing this stuff. And <clears throat> once you kind of get a feel for, okay, 5,000 in this category is 12 sales a day, you don't really need to do it anymore because you can kind of jump in and look at a listing and go, okay, this is 5,100, so it's gonna do like 11, <laughs> right, right? right? Or it's 4,900, so it might do 13. Right. Right. So you can get a, you can get a better idea for that as you start to work your way through it. Yeah. And, uh, what I'm going to do here, Chris, now that I'm thinking of it, I've done uh, a video or two on 
kind of like the validation process and which we're going to be covering next um, and uh, and using uh, Jungle Scout and stuff. So I'll leave those videos. Uh, I think there's one or two. I'll embed them inside of this post. Um, so theamazingseller.com forward slash 441. And then also, um, you know, if you are interested in Jungle Scout, I did work out a pretty sweet deal with Greg for TASers. Um, you, again, go over to theamazingseller.com forward slash JS. I believe currently right now there's some money off and there's some additional resources that you get for um, for going through my link, which is an affiliate link, by the way. You will buy me a cup of coffee, which you guys all know I love. Um, but uh, again, that is uh, the tool of choice for us. But you can do it the 999 way that we just kind of described. So Chris, all right, let's jump into step three, the product validation. Um, we're going to wind this thing down, but we're actually ramping it up because there's a lot in here in the product validation and I'm going to try to cover it here in this audio version of it. But number one, um, of this, of product validation is depth. And then there's also demand and then there is trends. So those are the three different things we look at in the product validation. All right. So number one, are there enough sales? We just kind of talked about that, right? So are there enough sales? That's depth. Now, not just one seller we're talking about. We're talking about depth. What do we mean by depth? Well, I like to see at least eight to 10 sellers or listings when I search for that. So if I searched for Jeep accessories, or let, let's go even a little bit uh, a little bit more specific. Let's say that it's, uh, maybe it's the armrest, Jeep accessories armrest. If I did that and I found eight, sellers that were all doing, uh, you know, at least 10 units per day, that would be depth. Now where there wouldn't be depth is if I did that search and I only found two sellers that were selling 10 units a day. So that means only 20. Now, if there was two sellers and they're selling 1500 each and there's no other sellers, that could be a good thing, but it's still a little risky because there's not eight or 10 that are sharing those different results. Maybe it's brand driven if I see that the two top sellers are, are taking all the sales. So again, without, without giving you a visual of what it looks like, just imagine searching for something and then seeing eight or 10 listings showing up on page one and, and throughout all of those, like, let's say there's 10 of them, we were able to add up 3000 units across all 10 that would be good depth, okay? And if they spread them out pretty evenly, like maybe, you know, 20, someone had 20 a day, someone had 15 a day, someone had 10 a day, like that would be nice, okay? Um, doesn't mean it's always gonna be that way. And then what I do is I don't need to necessarily say I gotta be number one. I just gotta be number seven, or I gotta be number five. And that way there, um, I'm not looking at uh, competing with just one seller. So that's depth, all right? The other thing I wanna look at is how long have they been selling? The people that I'm looking to compete with, the sellers that I'm looking to compete with, I need to look at how long they've been selling, all right? The other thing is I have to look at, is this a trend? Is this something that's going to be hot now and go away tomorrow or maybe only be here for six months because it was just mentioned on a talk show and now all of a sudden everybody's buying it and then it's gonna go away, right? So I have to look at that stuff and I'm gonna show you here in a second how we do that. Does it sell outside of Amazon? That's another big one for me because I want to know that in the future, I can go ahead and get search traffic outside of Amazon. So again, I'm looking a little bit further down the road. Um, that's not a, a deal breaker 100%, but it's definitely something I look at. And then can we improve or differentiate the product? All right. So let's talk about depth and demand. Again, I kind of covered that. Look at the top eight to 10 listings. Okay. Total up all the sales across those eight to 10 listings and see if you can come up with 3,000 sales per month 
across the tent. So that would be, let's just do easy math, 300 units each, you know, per seller times 10, that's 3000 sales. That's what I would look at. Now it's not always going to be that perfect. It could be a thousand for the first seller. And then everyone else below that is sharing the, the rest of the 3000. So 2000, right? They'd all be sharing. One common mistake I find is that people will be fooled by that number. And because they will look at across the top 10, but the top two are the ones that are taking all of the sales. And then after you get past the second seller, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, they're getting like four sales a day, right? So that's, we want to look at that. That's to me top heavy. All right. There's, there's sellers that are getting all the sales on the top and below that. It doesn't matter if you rank number five, you're not going to compete. Right. And there's probably a reason for that. It's probably brand driven. Uh, it could be, uh, it, it, it could be a, a, a certain product that's patented that you can't even sell, but it's similar. Um, there's different things. So you want to look at that. I always like to see eight to 10 listings that share the 3000 sales. And then the other, the third component here in this depth and demand is your low competition. I look at low competition by the number of reviews. And I know Chris does the same. So I like to find uh, sellers that are still selling consistently with 200 or less reviews. Okay. And then this way here, we know that they're not being driven. The sales are not being driven by reviews. All right. And the, and the, the sales are still there. So that's what we look at when we're looking at competition and the reviews. So the next thing is, okay, well, Scott, how do I find product history? How do I know how long a seller has been selling? Or how do I know that these numbers aren't just like from a, a recent promo? It's a great question. And I've got the answer for you. We use a tool called camelcamelcamel.com. It's uh, free. We also um, have dabbled with Keepa. Com, and I know some of our uh, listeners and students use that one. They're both pretty much the same. They do the same thing. What they do is they'll look at the history of a product. It, they'll, they'll look at the, uh, the price history. So it'll show you what the price has, has done over time. And then it'll also give you the BSR over time, which is pretty powerful, right? The, the one thing that I look at immediately is like, number one, how much history do they have? If they only have three months history, that means that they're only three months old. If they have 12 months history or more, well, then we know that we can pretty much say that, you know, the numbers there are going to be numbers that we can count on. All right. So we don't want to be fooled by a recent launch or a promotion or a seasonal item. Okay. And we also don't want to be fooled by maybe a price hike and then have that, that high, that, that, um, that price go down and then stay down because there's a lot of competition now. So we want to look at the price history and the sales over time. And that's being done with tools like Camel, Camel, Camel or Keepa. Again, guys, I'm going to include all this stuff in the show notes. So don't worry about, um, you know, writing everything down here right now. Um, the trends, we other, the other thing we look at is trends. Like, how do we know that this isn't just a fluke? How do we know that this isn't just something that's hot now and not, not going to, you know, stay consistent? Well, we look at Google trends over the past years and we can look at the past five years, sometimes, you know, eight, 10 years, um, however much data they have, but looking at the Google trends is a great way for you to see a certain keyword or a certain product. So in this case, let's take garlic press. If we take garlic press, we see that they have spikes in December and, uh, or I'm sorry, November and December. And that's because it's probably a Christmas gift, but we also see steady sales throughout the year. So that's good. That's a good thing. We look at a snow shovel. We see a spike in maybe November, December, and January, maybe February, but for the most part, it's probably December and January, right? So two months after that, it flatlines. We can see that by looking at Google trends. All right. Now the last important factor here 
that I think that we need to address before we wrap up this this long podcast episode, but you guys can see there's a lot that goes into it. And this is one of the most important parts. And I want to make sure I cover everything with you, uh, is really, can we improve the product? Can we differentiate it? Cause you can't just launch the same widget that everyone else is, is selling. You, you, you can, but what's going to differentiate you. So can we improve the product? How can we improve the product? Well, number one, you can do better packaging. You can have better materials and you can have more accessories. All right. So the next question I get is, well, Scott, how do I find find out what to modify? Well, here's a little tip for you. Read through what people are saying they don't like about the product. In most cases, you're going to find your competition has one or two or three star reviews. Okay. Let me give you an example of what a garlic press would look like. One of the ones that we pulled so you can kind of get an idea and you'll see how we can improve this product. So I'm looking at this right now. Again, you know, I show you guys this on the workshop, but I'm going to do this. I'm just going to read it to you guys in an audio version, but, uh, it says, uh, the, the first review here, three star looks great. Nice idea, but not that easy to use. Um, then they go on to say garlic ends up smeared over your hands and, and stuck inside the mechanism, not dishwasher safe, uh, three star, another one star, several of the blades came loose or bent or and or bent when I tried to put only the second clove through the brand new device. So again, not happy and they're complaining. The other one is a three star, not great for doing a single clove, to, too difficult to clean even with the built-in cleaner. And then a two star metal blades bent first time I used garlic press. So how would we improve the product? Well, it's hard to clean. We got to make it easier to clean. Metal blades bent, easy. We got to make ours sturdier or with better material, not dishwasher safe. We've got to make our dishwasher safe garlic smears. We got to figure out why it's smearing and how we can make ours not smear. And then quality is cheap. We got to come up with better materials and all of this stuff we can put into our listing and say, ours is better than our competition because of these things. Ours is easier to clean. Ours has stronger material and our blades don't bend. Ours is dishwasher safe. The garlic doesn't smear. Our quality is top of the line, right? Like those are the things that we can fix, but we can also call out against our competition. So with that all being said, Chris, man, that was a mouthful. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to wrap up with before we recap here and then let these guys get out there and start doing their product research? There's a couple of questions, Scott, that you and I always get that I wanted to, to kind of knock out real fast. If you are willing to do that. Um, <clears throat> the first one is, you know, are these criteria that you just laid out, like the, the 10 by 10 by one criteria, are those absolutely solid or are they slightly flexible? They're, they're flexible. And again, I want to repeat this. They're ours, right? That's what we go by. You can go by whatever you want. If you want to do a, you know, if you want to do, you only find products that sell 20, you'd say that's up to you. Um, these are just our criteria. Yeah. And, and I would say like, if it sells nine a day at $9 profit, that doesn't disqualify no, it, right? Not at us. all. We just need to know that. So the goal is 10. If it sells, you know, if it comes in at 12 by 10 by one or 12 by nine by one, that's fine. We need to know what it sells for and how much we stand to make, which we'll find out kind of in the sourcing phase. Right. But we need to know the sales volume there. And that's the important thing. If you wanted to sell, if you were happy selling five a day, that's totally cool. Just keep in mind that to, to get to that $100 a day mark, you're going to have to make $20 in profit, right? It, we exactly. like those numbers because they make it easy for us. Scott and I aren't math people, right? We're business math people. And if it's easy business math, that's even better, right? 10 times 10 is 100. Woohoo, I can do that all day long. And my third grade math teacher is happy. Um, <laughs> that's right. When, when we're looking at, um, you know, products and we see that, yes, there is depth and demand there, 
one of the questions that you and I always get is, do you look at the total number of pages uh, of sellers? Like if there's 5,000 people selling a garlic press, does that change how you look at a product versus if there's just 100? No, here's the deal though. Am I selling the exact same widget? right? If the answer is yes, and all you're doing is going to Alibaba, AliExpress or wherever, and you're finding that product and you're just going to slap it up there, then yes, that would concern me, right? Because there's nothing that's going to differentiate. But if I'm going to have different packaging, different branding, uh, a better product, better listing, like if I'm going to have all that stuff, then I'm only looking at the top 10 or 15 on that on that first page, as long as the depth is there and the demand is there, that's all I'm concerned with. How do I, how do I outrank them? How do I do a better job? That's why if I find a listing that's poorly written or bad images and they're still ranking and they're still getting sales, that's a one up for me. I don't care if there's, you know, 500 pages. I'm just looking at, uh, what we're going to deliver, how we're going to be different. And then how do I get to page one? If they are selling 15 units a day, guess what? I got to sell 15 units a day. How do I do that? Well, we're going to talk about that in the pre-launch phase and in the launch phase. So we get there so we can rank. We talk about optimization. We talk about, you know, like the ranking process, building a list, like all of that stuff we are going to be doing in the pre-launch and the launch phase, but it's important that we get this part right first. I would absolutely agree with that. And the last question we already covered a couple of times, but I wanted to do a recap on it really fast is, you know, what tools do you suggest if we want a tool? For me, honestly, it would be bare bones. I would say the Jungle Scout, uh, the extension, not even the web app. You can get it if you want. It, it is very useful. But if you want something that's going to absolutely help with this process and speed it up tremendously, the Chrome extension from, from Jungle Scout is where I would look. And I think you feel the same way about that as well. If you had to have one tool in your yep. tool belt for this process, that would probably be it. That would be the tool belt itself. <laughs> yeah, it a hundred percent would be because at this stage of the game, you don't have to. And again, let's kind of talk about that really quickly is people get overwhelmed with the entire process. That's why I wanted to do this series. That's why we do the workshop because honestly, it comes down. It always comes down to these five parts, these five phases. And we're in phase one right now in this, in this series. So this is all you have to worry about. The only tool that I would say that's even necessary right now, that's a paid tool is jungle scout. That's the one that I use. That's the one I would say. And I would say if you're, you know, like bare bones, like bootstrapping, then I would say go with just the Chrome extension. If you're going with the web app, the web app will also allow you to do some tracking on a product with a click of a button. So that would be the other thing that would be useful. But right now it's really just the Chrome extension. Uh, again, guys, I'll drop that link here for you guys, theamazingseller.com forward slash JS. There's some money savings there and there's some other resources that Greg is giving. Um, and again, just a little disclaimer there. I am an affiliate for uh, Jungle Scout. I'm a good friend of Greg's. Uh, I was actually one of the first ones to try the tool when it was launched in beta. Um, so I kind of seen it grow and turn into what it is today, which is just amazing. I am going to include also, Chris, um, I think there's two videos that actually go through looking at uh, depth, demand, and history and all that stuff. I'm going to leave them inside of this, of this episode on the show notes. So that can be found at theamazingseller.com forward slash 441. And uh, again, this is, uh, this is part two of this series. So I want you guys to probably go back and listen to this again because there is a lot there and I know it, but I did want to focus only on product 
research, market research, validation, all of that stuff in this episode. It's really important. Just to recap, in this phase, there is that three-step formula that I talk about, and it is one, product discovery, two, product criteria, and then three, your product validation. So once you run it through that, you'll have a pretty good idea is this something that I should then take to the next part, which is the sourcing, all right? And then we can have a handful of products at that point. Because I think at this point, you probably want about five to 10 possible or potential products that you are thinking about launching. And then from there, you can go to the sourcing phase and then you can start getting the info on that. And that's what we're gonna be talking in the next in the next video or not the video, the next audio, uh, we'll be talking about that one where uh, we're actually going to take you through that process. Um, and then again, just to kind of highlight this at the very end is, you know, make sure that you differentiate the product by modifying the product and even just the packaging to create a better version. Spend the time going through the reviews. To me, they are gold. They are sitting there telling you exactly what you should do to make the product better. So Chris, anything you want to wrap up with before we officially sign off? I think you covered it pretty well there, Scott. One thing I am going to remind people, and it's something you and I talk about all the time, is focus on where you are. The reason we're kind of doing this deep dive series is to give you a place to come back to, right? So if you're in the product research phase, and Scott, you were just talking about this in terms of tools, but you know, there's well over, at, at the time of recording this, there's well over 400 episodes of the podcast, and it's very easy to get overwhelmed with sourcing and launching and PPC and optimization and hijackers and all of these things that we see get thrown around in the shiny object syndrome that can be something like the Amazing Seller Facebook group, which is a great resource if you're not <laughs> not there already. Check that out at theamazingseller.com forward slash F as in Frank, B as in boy. But focus on where you are. If you are in the product research phase, whether this is your first time through it or the hundredth time through it, come back and listen to this one. If you're in sourcing, then listen to the sourcing one. But focus on exactly where you are. Confine your learning to the thing that you are doing right now and don't let yourself get distracted. When you get distracted, you make mistakes. So focus on the product selection stuff right now. Yeah, love it. All right, guys, that is going to officially wrap this up. That went longer than I expected, but you know, when you start talking about this stuff, you definitely have to go through all of these steps. And I just wanted to make sure that we're very clear and I wanted to give you guys you know, the resources, the tools, so you can go out there and get started right now. And I think that you guys have an action plan to actually use right now. So like Chris said, definitely make sure you come back to this one and listen to it again if you need to. Uh, take notes if you need to, or go to the show notes and go through this process. There is no excuse to not get started. All right, so that is gonna officially wrap this episode up. The show notes can be found at theamazingseller.com forward slash 441. And again, this is part two of our uh, roadmap series for launching products. All right. So that's it. That's going to wrap it up. Remember guys, I'm here for you. I believe in you and I am rooting for you, but you have to, you have to come on, say it with me, say it loud, say it proud. Chris is with us today. He's going to say it with us, right, Chris? Absolutely. Count of three. Count of three. Wait, on One, three or after three? Uh, on three. <laughs> One, two, three, take, take action. Have an awesome, amazing day, guys. And I'll see you right back here on the next episode.